0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, if you would, open it to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I can guarantee you one thing tonight. We are all going to hear from the Lord. You know Why? Because we're going to read the Bible. (laughs) Isn't that cool to know that we're going to hear from the Lord tonight? And if our hearts are receptive, He may even have a special insight for you about something you're going through or a word about a situation. That's kind of how God works in my life. When I'm trying to navigate situations and understand what to do, how to respond, which way to go it's 99% of the time for me, it's something in the Bible that leaps off the page that answers uh, something I'm going through or just gives me another insight about God and how I can trust him more. So this is one of these incredible chapters. It's probably what I would call a benchmark chapter, not only because it's the first mention of David specifically in the Bible and also because it's the man after God's own heart But there's something else that God says in this chapter about seeing things, how he sees them. That's really what undergirds a lot of this chapter. And many people could say in looking at the chapter and studying it and looking at notes on it, that this chapter is about a transition from Saul to David, but this chapter is really about God. And what is behind really this picture is the emergence of a greater king. Uh. The greater David, who will have mercy on us as he will arrive in Jerusalem and ride in on the foal of the donkey uh, and come to rescue us from our sins. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, when we get into this section, I want you to be thinking about Jesus, and we're going to see some connections to him as well. That great name. Father, thank you for the name of Jesus, not just speaking his name, as powerful as that can be, but knowing what his name represents, that he is. His name really means Yahweh is salvation. The Lord saves. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But thank you that you have made the way available to us, Lord. And you've given us these shadows in the Old Testament where the suffering servant emerges on the pages, the the greater David, the greater king. Uh, Somewhat in the shadows here, but all the connections are there. And the comfort for our lives to know that this is what the whole Bible has been pointing to, uh, our Messiah, our Savior, the anointed one, the one who truly has God's heart <laughs> for you, our God. And you always did those things that please the Father. And when you faced the cross, Jesus, you said, not my will, but yours be done. Help us to have your eyes and your heart tonight as we look at the Bible together, we're we're not here to just study the Bible, we're here to have it study us. We're not just here to read it, we're here to have it read us. Help us to be honest with where we are, and yet to be open and receptive and excited to how you'll meet us here tonight, Lord. We give you the glory, we lay this time at your feet, and we pray you'll work in a mighty way in Jesus' name, amen. First Samuel 16, verse 1. I would call this the greater king, the anointed one. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve or mourn over Saul? For Samuel 16:1, Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons." Now, chapter 15 ends in a tragic way with Saul's downfall. And if you wanted to capture what the downfall of Saul was, the downfall of Saul was very simple. It's not that he wasn't good-looking because he was taller, head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, He was tall, dark, and handsome. It wasn't that he didn't have military capabilities because he did. And he won several battles for the Lord and for his people. And it wasn't even that he lacked the spirit, because we know in chapter 10 that the spirit of the living God rushed upon Saul, and he prophesied, and he had some anointing from the Lord. But in key moments of his life, he lacked faith. See, faith is believing God and doing something. Faith is ultimately for salvation. It's trusting in the Lord's finished work, but then faith is also a verb. It's an action word. It's Captured in Hebrews 11, where faith is lived out by faith. This person did these great exploits. So faith is centered in Jesus Christ, but faith without works, James says, is dead. There's going to be something that comes out of your life when you believe in the Lord. And at key moments in Saul's life, he refused to see things God's way. And that was his demise, that was his downfall. And that will be the downfall, sadly, of countless souls that live and die on this planet and refuse to see things God's way. And that was Saul. Saul's destiny in terms of eternity is in God's hands, but this is why he failed as a leader. Uh, He just wouldn't take to heart what God said. And so literally this text reads, I have seen among his sons, among the sons of Jesse, for myself a king. So God went searching. The people asked the Lord for a king. It displeased the prophet. God said, give them what they want. They got what they wanted. Saul, his name literally means asked for. They got what they asked for. And we know that when, sometimes when you get what you asked for, it doesn't go very well. <laughs> then you decide to get to ask God what he wants for your life. Amen? And then when you ask him what he wants for your life, then you're starting to get things in proper perspective. And so David uh, was a man who would see things God's way. He did not always do it perfectly, but David, uh, I think his heart is captured all over the Psalms. I know many of you have made the Psalms uh, a real regular part of your reading, especially maybe when you're in a tough season of life. And David in 2 uh, uh, Samuel 23.1 is called the sweet psalmist of Israel. And if you ever wanted to know what David's heart was like, all you have to do is open to the psalms. You don't have to guess what a man after God's own heart looks like. You just need to read the psalms. I'll give you a couple of examples. In Psalm 25, four and five, if you want to write this down, it says, Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. Teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. For thee, I will wait all the day. A man or a woman after God's own heart will consistently cry, Lord, teach me your ways. Because we're all in process. None of us have arrived. David did not arrive. David made his mistakes. But a man or a woman after God's own heart will regularly pray, Lord, teach me your ways. You'll see that over and over and over in the Psalms in Psalm 86:11 and 12, David prayed, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Listen to these words. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart and will glorify thy name forever. Even when you see David in a tough spot and he writes a psalm about not understanding or, or about struggling in the night with tears and and wondering where God is, yet he consistently returns to hope in God. And every one of us who are Christians know that we've had not only days and nights, but sometimes weeks and months like that. And it's in, the, in those times that the Lord teaches us things about his way. So in First Samuel, uh, this is going to bring us to a dramatic shift, a new development, a different kind of king in that He will have God's heart. When you examine the Bible, you will see more times than not, this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. This king did evil in the sight of the Lord. Very few kings did what was right in his eyes. And the way the world's going anymore, I wonder if that's going to be kind of how Christianity is going to be in America. I think an obedient, seriously minded, consistent Christian is going to become the exception in companies, in households. And I pray that this next statement's not true, but maybe even in churches. When you start to see the top news stories in America and who's getting attention and for what reasons, goodness me, I don't know what's happening anymore. It it is uh, in many ways Disheartening. See, Saul was fundamentally a king chosen by the people for themselves, but David was fundamentally chosen by God for himself. And that is the difference between the two kings. But the prophet, and this shows that uh, Samuel was a man after God's own heart as well, is still grieving over the failure of Saul. He's still lamenting. Even though he warned Saul and he had to rebuke Saul, he still struggled. And God asked him the question, verse one, how long will you grieve or mourn over Saul? Now, what's interesting, at the end of chapter 15, it says Samuel did not see, verse 35, chapter 15, Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, but I want you to see something else, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. It seems like Samuel's regret and the Lord's regret are in concert <laughs> It seems to me that the prophet is grieving over the same thing that God grieves over. And when you want to have God's heart, it's when you begin to grieve over things that makes God grieve and rejoice over things that makes God rejoice. The world, you know, anymore seems to be calling good evil and evil good. But when you can see things through God's eyes, and I think that's, What's captured in the prophet here is he's mourning over Saul. He's not ready to move on. He's poured it a lot into this man. He's watched him fail, and he's broken-hearted. You know the Bible says that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We never take pleasure in somebody else's failure, and the prophet didn't. And so he grieved, and he mourned over him, but God confronted him with something that maybe some of you need to hear tonight. He said, "How long will you grieve over Saul?" Maybe one way to say this, and I'll let you take this for what it's worth, maybe one way to say this is God is saying to Samuel, I've moved on, (laughs) now it's time for you to move on. Saul is not going to be the king, his kingly work is done. The kingdom's been torn, in that great metaphorical, uh, you know, where, uh, picture where the Uh, Saul reached out and grabbed the hem of Samuel's garment and he tore it and Samuel said, look, the the kingdom's torn from you, it's over. There's there's not gonna be any begging or groveling. God bless you. you. And your family and your wonderful marriage. (laughs) He is, right? I just wanna reiterate this point because there is a time to mourn Sometimes I think, I think Christians get the idea that mourning is disallowed in the Bible. That's not true. When uh, Aaron died, the children of Israel grieved for him for 30 days. When Moses died, they grieved over Moses for 30 days. There seemed to be a period that was dedicated to mourning and grieving. And the Bible even says that we, we grieve, but not like those who have, remember, no hope. So whenever we, we go through something, the Bible is clear that we do mourn. You know, sometimes I've, I've run into preachers along the way and I, I've sat in uh, memorial services where it seems like they disallow a tear. <laughs> if you cry a tear for your loved one, well, then you don't have any faith. That's just bogus. God gave you tear ducts for a reason. And, and when you cry and mourn, there's healing in that. You've got to get it out But then God says to uh, the prophet here, it's time for you to look forward. Saul is not to be your focus any longer. I've chosen another man. You could call this a motivational reproof to move on. I know it's not easy, and I'm not taking anything for granted in this room that if you're going through some difficulty with a subject like that, that it's going to be 30 days, and on the 31st day, bam, I better be over this. No, no. That's not how it works. You've got to allow yourself time and grace. And uh, there's no perfect model here. But for Samuel at this time, Saul was not to be his focus any longer. He was to move on. How long will you grieve over his failure is the idea. I've rejected him from being king. And I've chosen another man for myself. If you look back in 1 Samuel 13 for a second, look at verse 13, 1 Samuel 13 says, 13 Samuel knew this was coming and even though you know something's coming it doesn't mean that you can be fully prepared for it but first Samuel 13:13 13, 13 says Samuel said to Saul you have acted foolishly you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God for Samuel 13:13 13, 13, which he commanded you for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever these are words that are coming from the prophet but now your kingdom shall not endure the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. The Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. I mean Samuel knew it was coming, but it doesn't didn't mean that it was still easy for him. And if you want to mark down 1 Samuel 15:28. Samuel said to him, "The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. The Lord had already selected the man, just as he selected Mary to be the mother of the Messiah, just as he selected Jeremiah before he was even born in his mother's womb, he was set apart to be a prophet to the nations. God had already made his selection. And remember how when we talked about uh, God's sovereignty in election and free will, there is everything for God is now. He doesn't have to look down a corridor of time And make decisions based upon what people might do. God is eternal. He is outside of time. Everything for God is now. It's just all in front of him. And so David was always God's man. Always the man that God had in mind to lead his people. But it wasn't just because David would be the kind of leader that God wanted. David would be a picture of a coming leader, the Messiah. And David would be a Bethlehemite, David's hometown was Bethlehem, and we all don't have to think very hard about our Bibles to know how significant that town is, because on a Bethlehem night about 2,000 years ago, the greater David was born into the world, and God's painting a picture, as I mentioned in this chapter, about this greater king who's come to give us life. He is the one that truly has God's heart. So God chooses Bethlehem for the arrival of Christ, the one who will take away our sin. I mentioned in a Christmas Eve message we did that it was uh, in Bethlehem that Rachel died and was buried at a place uh, on the way to Ephrath, which means fruitful. Bethlehem means house of bread. Do you remember that? And it, it is in that place that the bread of God is born into the world. Jesus is the true bread which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's born in a place called the house of bread, taking the, uh, the word bait and the word lachem for the house of bread. But Samuel had some concerns and he, maybe he was thinking about getting out of the king-making business. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to anoint another person, Lord. This one didn't go so well. You, what do you want me to do now? I've got another man. Fill the horn with oil. We're going to try this again. I'm not so sure. Ever been there before? Lord, I'm all for one (laughs) with this king stuff. But this is my man. And Samuel said to him, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Now Samuel's had a level of authority over Saul this whole time. Uh, Saul seems to be afraid of Samuel but samuel's learned something about saul it's going to come out in the rest of the book and saul is doesn't take well to uh being upstaged and he's certainly going to be chasing david around for the next couple of decades right so samuel's learned something about him and he knows that he still has kingly authority and he's got an army at his beck and call and he says look He's got to be watching me. I just told him that the kingdom's torn and there's somebody better than him that's going to take the throne. Don't you think he's probably got people parked on my street? (laughs) Just seeing where I'm going to go? Hidden cameras? I mean, I'm a dead man. I can't go anoint somebody now. This guy's nervous. He's, He's already been told from my lips that he's done. And you want me to do what now? When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer. This is literally a young cow or a young female of the cattle with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel is reluctant. We can understand why. And he is not sure that he wants to do this, but the Lord tells him, take, I want you to take a heifer and I want you to invite, verse 3, Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. Now God does not tell Samuel who he is. He just says, I'm gonna tell you when you get there and I want you to trust me and I want you to take the sacrifice with you and I want you to go. And the walk of faith, brothers and sisters, is a walk of trust. Oftentimes, and think about this for a seer, a prophet is literally a seer, one who sees prophecy. But this time, what does God tell the seer? I'm not going to tell you until I point him out in the lineup at that moment. You're going to have to just trust me and be almost a little uncomfortable and a little embarrassed because I'm not going to identify him until the moment comes. I have noticed, I'm sure you have as well, that for the Christian, the walk of faith is very much that way. (laughs) I wish God would give me all the information up front, but I'm just like you. He rarely does. He'll ask me to take steps of faith and just trust him with the rest. And so he is never late, but rarely early in my cases. And so he says, I'll show you what you should do. Now, is the heifer just kind of some sort of cover-up? I don't think so. God always has his reasons. In Leviticus 3.1, a heifer is acceptable as a peace offering, but there's something else, I want you to look at Deuteronomy 21 for a second, Deuteronomy 21, and this, this will answer potentially a question that comes up, because the elders of the city of Bethlehem, when Samuel arrives, they get nervous, and they ask him, have you come in peace? Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, go to chapter 21, I'll show you something about this heifer and the elders of the city, and you can keep this in mind as we move ahead. So it's Deuteronomy 21, 1. It says, if a slain person is found lying in the open country, in the land which the Lord Lord your God gives you to possess, and it is not known who has struck him. So this is a dead body lying there, and they don't know who's done this. Then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance to the cities which are around the slain one. 21.3. And it shall be that the city which is nearest to the slain man, that is, the elders of that city, shall take a heifer of the Lord, which has not been worked, and which is not pulled in a yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with running water, which has not been plowed or sown, and shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to serve him, and to bless in the name of the Lord. And every dispute and every assault shall be settled by them. And all the elders of the city which is nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it. So they're claiming innocence now. The sacrifice is there, and they're saying, Okay, we don't know who killed this person, but we can tell you this. We're washing our hands of this, almost like Pilate did of Jesus, because we we didn't do it, And we didn't see it. And then they are to cry, Forgive thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of thy people Israel, and the blood guiltiness shall be forgiven them. So you shall remove the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right, this is key, in the eyes of the Lord. And so there's something about a heifer and And what's occurred here, and even pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus for all the innocent blood that sadly we have shed in our country. If you want to read more on this, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact chapter in Ezekiel, but Ezekiel says a lot about how innocent blood that's shed stains a land. And God takes that very seriously. And there was a provision, there was a sacrifice for um, somebody who had been killed and they didn't know who it, w- who it was that had done it. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio today. Excited that you've joined us. Tell a friend about the program you're hearing here and please keep us in prayer. We have some uh, exciting open doors for new radio stations. We have some exciting opportunities for some new time slots and we could really use your prayer and your support. If you can give to the ongoing ministry of Living Truth Radio, we'd deeply appreciate it. It takes funds to be on the radio, and we're not a huge congregation, and we appreciate the support that we get from radio listeners. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you're anywhere near the Inland Empire and you don't have a home fellowship, you're not connected with a local church, we'd love to invite you to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. The radio ministry that you hear Monday through Friday on your station or on the weekend is really just a extension of the normal pulpit ministry in the life of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And for those of you who are out of state or out of our area, we consider you family members as well. Uh, Living Truth certainly doesn't replace your local church, but we know you listen and we know you're praying for us and we appreciate it. Thank you for the support that you give to us, the encouragement, the emails that you send. We we deeply appreciate it. And we know that even when you don't send an email, that you are still part of what's going on and part of the listening family. And we, we appreciate you and we look forward to interacting with you again. If we can be of any help to you, send us an email or a message through the website, livingtruthcorona.org or you can call us Monday through Friday. We're here 9 to 5 Pacific Time at Nine five one seven three five two eight five six. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch up to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9th and 1115 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.